Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rashidi, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rashidi. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If you have a business that depends on sales, you can try and sell everything to everybody, like Walmart. But seeing there's almost no way on earth you can compete with Walmart, you need to come up with a, a more niche type of approach. Having a unique product and finding people who need it is the pathway to success, supply and demand. Simple enough, right? Well, it might have been when that meant opening a store on Main Street or buying an ad in the Yellow Pagers. <laughs> if, you're, if you're under 40, you're going to have to Google the Yellow Pages, and even then it probably won't make much sense to you. My lunch guests are both in fields that have been upended by technology, photography and book sales. Amazon rewrote the rules on how people buy books, and the smartphone and Instagram have turned everybody into a photographer. Within these crowded spaces, both of my guests, Olivia Gray Pritchard and Candace Huber, have successfully carved out their own markets. Candace is the owner of Tubby and Coo's Mid-City Bookshop. It's been around since 2014. And if you're saying, what? I live in New Orleans and I've never heard of it, it might just mean you don't read the kind of books they sell. Tubby and Coos describes themselves as a local, queer-owned, progressive, nerdy, independent bookshop focused on science fiction, fantasy, romance, horror, queer, and diverse books. Woo! Candace Huber, welcome out to lunch. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. We've talked here before about how the career of professional photographer has been battered by the extraordinary number of amateur photographers in the world. Everybody who owns a cell phone and with the ease of which photographers work is stolen off the internet. Olivia Gray Pritchard has figured out a way to succeed as a photographer in this tough environment. Part of Olivia's success is centered on educating other photographers on how to run a successful photography business. Now she teaches online classes and conducts mentoring sessions for professional photographers. And in her own photography work, Olivia delivers more than just digital files of photos. If you hire Olivia to be your photographer, you end up with a piece of framed wall art, an archival quality photo album, or a unique family movie. Olivia Gray Pritchard, welcome out to lunch. Hey Peter, thanks so much for having me. Candace, as I mentioned in the introduction, identifying your customers is one of the keys to success in sales. You've been running Tubby and Coo's Mid-City Bookshop since 2014, so you're obviously successfully finding people who are looking for science fiction, fantasy, romance, horror, queer, and diverse books. And you have a board game room at the store and a children's room. Is the key to Tubby and Coo's success the community aspect of the shopping experience where your customers feel more comfortable than they would at, say, uh, Barnes & Noble? Or is your success more the result of stocking books that these specific types of readers simply wouldn't find at Barnes & Noble? 
I think that it's a little bit of both, actually. Um, I definitely pride myself on the community aspect and do a lot with the community. And I really want to make sure that the store is a place where everyone feels comfortable. And I think that a lot of the groups that I cater to don't feel comfortable in other places. And that's really important to me, that those people have a place where they feel comfortable. But also, I am a niche store, and so I definitely have tried to offer things that may not you may not find in other stores. Uh, and when I opened my store, that was the biggest thing that I wanted to do is, you know, what, what do I like that I don't find in other places? And uh, these were kind of just all of the things that I didn't think that I could find really done elsewhere. And so I was like, okay, I'm just gonna kind of pick and pick and choose and uh, offer all the niches that aren't offered in other places. And I think both of those things have worked out pretty well for me. That's not bad. You know, you get the idea that, uh, what would I want in a bookstore? That, exactly. That's pretty, yep. pretty cool. <laughs> Olivia, for sure selling books is a tough business to succeed in, but being a photographer over the past decade or so has been like being a member of a threatened species. You decided to double down on these challenges by publishing a book of photos. The book is called Mutts, A Celebration of Mystery Mixed Breeds. It's a fine art coffee table book of portraits of New Orleans dogs. When you pitch an idea for a book like this to a publisher, the publisher might think the target market would be dog lovers or fans of fine art photography, or the publisher could be thinking they could sell this book to people who love everything about New Orleans, even our adorable mutt dogs. But I wonder what you're thinking when you're taking the photos for a book like this. Are you purely taking a photo as a piece of art, or do you have an idea in your mind of who you're taking this photo for? So, I think more for this particular book, it was more about illustrating the personality of each subject. So in this case, it was dogs. I also work with kids and families, and I really, working with kids and working with dogs is not so dissimilar. Um, <laughs> you can drive with treats, you can, um, <laughs> You can only do what they are willing to do for you. So you can't force them to do anything they don't want to do. So it's really about having the dog be able to get comfortable in the space and then getting a portrait that I really felt showed off either a unique trait or a silly expression or something that made that particular subject unique within this book of 115 dogs. Candace, which is bigger for you? Is it? Uh the books shop or is it now uh, online or do you still have it as a combination of both? That's a really good question because now my online business is bigger than my bookstore in-store business, which isn't the same for everyone. Um, but I think because I cater to the nerd folk, as I say, and the nerd folk <laughs> live online, right? Um, the sort of silver lining of the pandemic for me was that I, I was forced to move everything online and that grew a huge audience for me, a nationwide audience, which I didn't actually have before. And you know, we do virtual author events now that anyone can watch. We do a lot of online sales. We do all of these things online. And it really blew up during the pandemic. And so now probably about 80 or 85% of my business is still online, oh, wow. either orders for shipping or people just order online and spend two seconds to pick it up. 
Um, so very little of my business now is actually people coming into the store. It's been a really interesting change for me. And Olivia, you do something that I really had to think about when I was getting ready for the show, is you help train other photographers to run a successful business. And all I can think of is that quote from John F. Kennedy where they asked him, uh, do you like being president and do you recommend it to others? And he said, uh, yes, and I, but I don't recommend it to others. So, <laughs> so it's a, how do you do it? Do you fear they're going to be competition to you? Well, so I generally only do one-on-one -on -one mentoring with clients, well, other photographers who are my clients, who are outside of a 250-mile radius. But I have taught some in-person classes here in New Orleans where other photographers in this area came to me, and that was with the Professional Photographers of America. So under that umbrella, I have worked with some local photographers who really just needed a, a boost to figure out what they were doing that wasn't profitable and how they could change their business model to make it worth their time. Because if you do it for long enough, for not enough money or for the wrong business model for the business that you want to run, you will burn out and go back to a desk job. And so it needs to be something that you love, not I mean, I'm sure that Candace agrees with me. Owning a business is always going to have elements that you can't outsource and you don't want to do. Yep. But there's also a lot you can outsource. And on top of that, if it's something that you love, I really feel like it's worth spending the time and the money on the education to figure out how to do it well and profitably. You know, i got to say most founders, or at least a high percentage of them, don't come to the conclusion you did, which is the idea of, oh, I can do everything. You know, it's oh, I, I started I this company. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds terrible. And I'm the opposite. I yeah. want to do everything. <laughs> <laughs> it apparently works for both of you. Yeah. They uh, and I know you've obviously a small, small company. But do you do it for that reason, or you just want to have your hands in all parts? You know, I don't know. I think it's a little bit of both. I think I from the beginning, I you know, I've always wanted a bookstore, and because I think a little bit, it's my baby. I don't trust other people to do it the way that I want or whatever. And I know that that's bad and I'm working on that and I do have help uh, from other people. But, uh, but yeah, I think a lot of it is just like, this is mine and I built it with my own blood, sweat and tears and handing stuff off sometimes is really hard. And I know other business owners, you know, deal with that as well. And I think, you know, with the photography stuff you were just talking about, it's really interesting because the book industry deals with the same kind of stuff where it's like we have to get innovative right we mm -hmm. have to there is no competing for us there's no competing with Amazon I cannot compete with it I don't have its depth I don't have its breadth I don't have any of it um, but what I can do is carve myself out a piece and I mm -hmm. feel like it's probably similar with photography absolutely where it's like you can't necessarily compete with these giant you know things and companies but I can create something that's unique and different and that is community oriented and that really you know brings the people in um, and I think that's why independent bookstores are still around even with Amazon and all these other places and are actually having kind of a revolution because you know people like that aspect of it we're not an algorithm we're real people and I right. feel like right with photography and social media it might be similar yeah I think that you know, obviously, I'm not going to compete with um, with people's everyday photos on their iPhone, but I'm not trying to compete with that. I'm trying to have a twofold 
um, experience. So there's the luxury experience of getting walked through the whole process. Family portraits are stressful for a lot of people, especially moms, getting everybody where they're supposed to be and dressed and rested and in a good mood. It's very stressful. And it was it's stressful for me with my husband and my two-year-old, and I do this for a living. So I get that. But then there's also the finished product. I really feel like we're not doing, we're doing our clients a disservice by not getting them to the finish line, which is the piece of art on the wall, the piece of art in the book, on your coffee table or on your shelf. That's what people want. We did a poll of our clients probably like five years ago. 80% of them did not have wedding albums. Oh, wow. 80%. And 60% of them had paid for the wedding album but never sat down to go through the 2,000 images to pick the 100 that were going in the book, that is really stressful. I don't want my clients to have to do that. That's my job. My job is the creation of it. And that's why I have my clients come into the studio to sit down. We go over their order together. We talk about what we're making. I want them to feel confident in the way that they're preserving their family's memories and creating their family's visual legacy. It's not something that doctors and lawyers and other people who are not in the creative world, it's not something that's easy for them to do and it just becomes a chore that gets pushed to the back burner and then it never gets done and then 10 years later you have two kids and no wedding album and no pictures of your kids on the walls because they're all in CDs in a drawer. Right. And that reminds me too a lot of the curation, right? Because that's essentially mm -hmm. what you do. Right. Part of it is curation. And that's with books as well, right? A customer comes in, you know, I sit down with them. I talk to them about what they like. I recommend, you know, the right book for their mood or the right book for what they want. And that personalized curation process exactly. is really what sets us apart from Amazon and even Barnes and Noble and other businesses. It's exactly. like, I will sit with you, yeah. discuss your, your situation uh, or who you're buying for or whatever mm -hmm. and, and recommend something that hopefully will go over well. And most of the time it does, thank goodness for me. And like you enjoy that. Like yes. I, I love that. I say I'm most valuable to my business when I am creating, when I'm shooting, when I'm selling, and when I'm working one-on-one -on -one with the client, because that's what I love doing the most. Yeah, I agree. Curation and, and recommending Connection. books to customers yeah. and those connections is my favorite part as well. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Candace Huber from Tubby and Coo's Mid-City Bookshop and photographer Olivia Gray Pritchard, author of the book Mutt's Portraits of Lovable Local Dogs. Olivia, you did something, um, I, I don't know how long ago it was, I guess it was for this book, but you had a Kickstarter campaign. I did. And how'd it go? So it was successful in that it got, we reached our goal and... Um, how much was it? Um, I think 35000 was okay. the goal. Yep. And so to accomplish that, we, you know, people could pre-order the book. So they're pre-paying for the book. And then there were certain, like, tiers of um, things that you could purchase that would be extra. And so we had a postcard pack, some really cute stuff like that. I will say, so Kickstarter actually just got a new CEO because I still get all of their emails. So I'm interested to see how she changes things up because I will say I think it's a brilliant idea and the platform itself is sort of logistically a nightmare. Um, it was so difficult for people to try to figure out 
if they wanted to go in and buy a postcard pack plus a book or five books, that you can't combine the tiers. So you couldn't just add these different products to your cart and then pay for the total. Then if you want to change your order and go back and add more, it gives you a lot of trouble to do that. So I cannot tell you how many times I heard from people, I can't figure this out. I Can you please do this for me? I want to buy five books and I cannot figure it out. I'll just give you the money. Like it was, that part was stressful. And then since the book has come out, oh my God, y'all. So Kickstarter does not have you enter your shipping address when you agree to purchase the thing, the whatever it is that you're purchasing, which I understand they don't want us to be able to like, if your campaign is not successful, they don't want you to be able to harass people and be like, hey, this didn't work, but can I have that $35? Like, I understand that. But have them enter it into a place that they don't release to the creator until the project is successful because trying to get people to fill out the survey, to enter their shipping address. I mean, half of it, over half of them went to junk folders, people didn't know. And then, you know, the first batch of books go out and people are writing to me, like, where's my book? Where, and I, also, if they send you it, their address in a separate message and it doesn't come in the survey, it doesn't show up in Kickstarter, you have to go into the private messages. I mean, it is, it is really a, a miserable hunt ah, to try. To, yeah, it is. It is just really poorly, poorly um, designed. And so I'm hoping that they'll be able to update it and make it more user friendly because I just I cannot tell you how much trouble we had with it. I, I like swore it off completely. Well, that's after I was going to say. If you, uh, I think I know the answer to this question, but if you do a new book. I uh, take it not Kickstarter. I don't think so. I, I what would replace it, by the way? Would it be? I mean, I think if I needed to um, to get some upfront funding, I would probably just pre-sell to my network because there are plenty of people. I mean, most of those pre-sells are people that I knew and I reached out to and said, "Hey, you know, do you want to pre-order this book? It's going to be great." And so I did get some orders that were you know, crowdsourced, crowdfunded. But you don't seem like but somebody who would many. be shy. So, I'm, you know, no. I mean, you could you could make those phone calls. Yeah, I would just be like, hey, the, the, <laughs> the, here, here, go onto my website. This is my new um, Kickstarter. This is one of the reasons why I've never used a site like that. I'm like, you know, I have my own website for the mm -hmm. bookstore and I have the infrastructure to do it myself. So if I'm going to do some kind of crowdfunding, I will just build my own website right. for it and say pre-order the book here right. at this link. Uh, and just use my own yeah. system because I have it all set up and it's like I why why go through all right that? right and then Kickstarter also like they take a cut which I completely yeah, exactly. understand it was my publisher's idea to use it and you know I'm glad that I had the experience and I'm glad that it was a successful campaign but I um, I don't think I'll go that route again well Candace you mentioned earlier that your market you think is kind of people that live online um, and I imagine social media is a big part of getting your name out. What works and what doesn't work uh, of, the, of the different social media companies? 
it's been really interesting over the years because it changes, right? Like what works now is not the same as what worked when I first opened. Uh, Facebook worked really well for a while. It does not work anymore. Uh, I don't think anyone ever looks at my Facebook. Also, Facebook itself has changed and doesn't show your business posts to people anymore like it used to. So for me, Instagram works really phenomenally well. It's where I get most of my sales from. It's where I have my biggest audience. Bookstagram has been huge for a really long time. So that's where I've been the longest that still works. And newly TikTok is uh, also really huge. Booktok is humongous. It, it influences bestseller lists. It's really fascinating to watch how books on Booktok from years ago that like everyone's forgotten about or no one knew about to begin with and the Booktok people find it and someone posts it, it goes viral and then all of a sudden it's on the New York Times bestseller list and it's a book from a decade ago and the author is like, I don't understand. And it happens <laughs> all the time, it's so fascinating. And so to be, I think, you know, those are the two places that work for me. And uh, Twitter, which doesn't work for a lot of people and Twitter, isn't good for sales for me. Instagram is by far the best for sales. But Twitter has been the best for me in terms of getting information out to people. And getting, you know, like last year, I had a viral Twitter thread about the supply chain, uh, which, you know, during holiday season, the supply chain is a mess. Really, it's a mess all the time, ever since the pandemic started. And so I did just a, an educational thing about here's specifically why, like you hear supply chain is this nebulous thing. What does it mean? And I broke it down. It went viral. And then all of a sudden I was getting all of these national media requests to talk to them about the supply chain. So things like that, um, Twitter is really, really good for. So I use Twitter for like information and I use mostly Instagram and TikTok for sales. So BookTok is a TikTok like account. Yeah, it's kind of like Bookstagram on on Instagram. Uh, Instagram. Okay. So yeah, it's more of a hashtag or like okay. a conversation um, than anything else. Yeah. I would think uh, your big message <laughs> would be if you're oh, ordering for, you just got to order much earlier, right? Way earlier. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> if you want anything at any time of year, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If you want something specific, you should order it three weeks before you think you need to order it. <laughs> right? That's what I tell people all the time. I mean, the book was supposed to be printed in April. Yeah. And I was supposed to have it in June. They pushed the print date back again and it's, again and because they get they didn't get the paper. Yeah. It and happens so more and more often. They were like, Okay, so you can either use bigger paper and we'll cut it down and there's it's more expensive, plus there's the charge for cutting, or you can wait a month and see if we get it in and I'm like, Well, I don't wanna waste paper and also spend more money. So yes, we'll wait a month, but that was the issue and my publisher said that um, she mostly does these sort of um, fine art paper books. She said that she has had, she's got a couple of books in the works that she's got to be on a wait list for with the printer because they don't have enough paper to accommodate everyone right now. And there's only a couple of printers in the US. That's mm -hmm. the other thing a lot of people don't realize. I think there's two um, for, for just every book that gets printed in the US. And so if you're not printing it overseas, it's it's like a funnel right and so it's mm -hmm. like you got to wait for your turn to have the book printed by one of these two printers and so right. besides the paper shortage you know and only having two printers the consolidation in the book industry in a lot of different ways has really hurt the supply chain a lot now L Livia we've helped so many photographers in terms of trying to turn their work into a business what's the worst business model 
I really feel like the worst business model is what so many people start with. So I started in film. So you didn't give your clients a sheet of negatives and a contact sheet and say, okay, here you go. Good luck with that. You know, you got them across the finish line to the finished product. So, so many people with the advent of digital photography have been able to buy an $800 camera, start taking pictures. I love that digital photography has made it, has made photography so much more accessible. It used to be such an expensive thing to learn and be able to do, and now it's not. So I think that's a really lovely thing that it has sort of made it more of an equitable um, career option for people. However, because people aren't experienced with the printing and the fine art aspect of it, they're just leaving that to the side. They're not doing it at all. So not only are they leaving money on the table, they're also not getting their clients the final product that they want. So their clients are getting a digital download. Half the time people come to me from other photographers who they say, well, I have these other pictures, but um, I don't even know if I downloaded them or from years ago. And this is what, you know, things they've paid money for. So to me, the worst business model is charging way too little money for digital files only that are included with the order. It doesn't get the client what they want and the photographer ends up basically paying the client to take pictures of their kids. <laughs> so Olivia, we we're talking about business models. In the book industry, we have really had to revolutionize our business models because the model of the traditional brick and mortar general bookstore uh, doesn't always work anymore. And so we've seen a lot of revolutionary things, uh, like what I like to call novel models, right? So we have like bookmobiles and pop-up stores and various different really innovative models of things. We see a lot more cooperative stores where worker-owned stores. So I'm wondering uh, in the photography business, what sort of revolutionizing, I guess, have you seen or if any, with I, I know that there is, <laughs> with, with everything, uh, social media and everything that has happened. So I would say I moved here 10 years ago and there was really a dearth of portrait photographers in the city. There were a few that had been established for a while, but I, I was able to come in and build a strong business quickly because I knew what I wanted my business model to be to begin with and I have stuck with that but also there was just a lack of competition. And so I would think that the biggest thing that has happened in the last decade is that all of a sudden there are hundreds of options for family photographers here in the city. And there's all kinds of different business models that go with that. But for me, I have always tried to stick with the luxury finished product business model because that's what I want when I have photos taken of my family. And I have always been someone who would spend hours looking at like family photo albums of my grandmother when she was little. Can you and you go into my somebody's mom. house and Oh my sure. gosh. I, I am very voyeuristic with that kind I of stuff. I love that, me too. <laughs> yeah. I mean I can look at, a, at at anybody's old family album for ages. I just think the details are so incredible. And so for me, I feel like giving that to my clients is really important because 
That is, this is the most photographed generation of children with the least amount of archival printed products. So a lot of people think, oh, well, my images are stored in the cloud. They're good to go. But digital rot is a thing. And we don't know that digital copies are archival because it hasn't been around for 100 years. We don't know what's going to happen with it. We've already seen technology outpacing storage solutions. So those CDs in a drawer, most people can't read the CDs anymore. And then we move to USB keys, but my laptop doesn't have a USB port. I've got to get a converter. So think about it in 15 years when your kid is a senior and you need a baby picture. You know, you're going to have some trouble getting access to it if you haven't done that work on the front end and had your photographer help you do that work on the front end because it's an overwhelming thing to do. So I do feel like people have gotten, like photographers in general, have come to realize that that is the most profitable business model, but also, at least for the photographers that I've trained, it's also the most um, satisfactory business model for us because you're getting your artwork on their walls on their shelves, you know that you're creating this family's, you know, visual history. And I think that that is really an honor to be able to do that. So for me, it is most important that, um, that my artwork is not sitting, never seeing the light of day in a drawer. And I think that more photographers are coming to understand that that is what clients want. They are willing to pay for it because they're not doing it themselves with their iPhone photos. Olivia was making all of the arguments that I normally make about print books versus ebooks, right? Um, because it's very similar, right? It's different, it's, right? It is holding it in your hand versus swiping on a screen. Absolutely, and I, it's the argument I make for why physical bookstores remain a thing. Everyone thought that bookstores were going to be, you know, rendered obsolete when ebooks started mm -hmm. coming out, and it's like, no, 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 that will never happen because of all the things that you just said, like literally all the same arguments that I make about physical books. People want the physical books. You get a full sensory experience right. with a physical object that you don't, like with books, people love to smell books. Mm -hmm. People love to feel of the books. You're, you're, it's easier on your eyes to read a book most of the time. Um, so you get like all of those senses with, that you don't get with an ebook. And I feel like with the photographs, it's the same. Like I do want, I don't have any, physical photographs anymore. They just, right. like, you don't just get them. And so it's so much cooler to have that physical object and books and photographs are art. You know, it's like they're pretty objects to have. People pride themselves on their bookshelves, mm -hmm. taking shelfies as we call them and like showing them on the internet. So I, all those arguments are literally the same ones that I make yep. for you know, physical books. Harper Lee, the author of To Kill a Mockingbird, yeah. actually said that before she passed away. She was doing an interview with, I think it was Oprah, and she specifically said that she cannot picture um, someone cuddling up with their kid to read an ebook of Goodnight Moon. Right? You know, like that just doesn't happen. As a consumer, it's frustrating to look for something you want and not be able to find it. Since the COVID pandemic gave rise to an inexplicable labor shortage and choked supply chains, almost everyone has had a taste of this kind of frustration. But for some people, 
This frustration has been going on for a lot longer. If you're a person who has a particular taste in books and you can never find quite what you're looking for, Tubby and Koo's Mid-City Bookshop is a refreshing oasis. And in a world where we're bombarded by images that only last a fraction of a second before we swipe or scroll them away forever, being able to have a photograph of your family, yourself, or even your dog, uh, that's really good enough for a frame. <clears throat> sorry, uh, mistake that was top, I'm sorry. And in a world where we're bombarded with images that only last a fraction of a second before we swipe or scroll them away forever, being able to have a photo of your family, yourself, or even your dog that's good enough to frame and hang on your wall is equally refreshing. Olivia and Candace, it's been great to meet you and learn about your unique businesses. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thank you so much, Good Peter. Good to be here. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Olivia Gray Pritchard. She's owner of Olivia Gray Pritchard Photography and author of the photography book Mutts. And Candace Huber, owner of Tubby and Coo's Mid-City Bookshop. We edited this show to fit into our time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Olivia's photography and Candace's books by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app or on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane, Three Roll is cane to glass. And by... Basics Swim and Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, there's one sponsor slot open for 2023. To learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.